I'm not this genie that's here to tell you that every relationship of this listener is guaranteed to work. That's not what I'm saying. But when you can decide, I want this to work, I'm putting two feet in, I'm putting all my eggs in this basket, and I'm moving forward with it, that gives your relationship a much better chance of having that longevity that you crave because it shows that you're committing to this person, you're committing to doing that work we've mentioned with them and you're committing yourself to that future. Welcome to the Abundant Couples Podcast. We are your hosts, Cassidy and Matt. And we're here to help you, awesome growth-minded human, create the most flourishing relationship that you know is possible. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into topics of relationship, intimacy, and lifestyle freedom. We believe that a great relationship is fuel for everything else in your life. So let's jump in and get fueled up. I'm so excited to share this episode with you. I had such a great conversation with Sarah Yudkin from You Love and You Learn. Sarah is a relationship anxiety coach whose mission is to help women feel more confident in their relationships and normalize the not-so-glamorous parts of relationships that often lead to anxiety. After she found herself struggling with repetitive doubts about whether her relationship was the right fit for almost three years, she began getting curious about the cause of these doubts and concerns. Once she learned more about what was really happening in her mind and body and the causes of relationship anxiety, everything changed. She stopped feeling stuck and out of control and instead learned to embrace and trust her unique and beautiful relationship. She now coaches others through their healing journey. In this episode, we talked about a wide range of things from relationship anxiety, what it is, to the power of decision in your relationship, self-care, how to balance the desire for growth with gratitude for your relationship as it is now, and how to know what relationship advice to listen to, and a whole lot more. Enjoy. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Great to be here. Well, let's jump right in. I'm sure a lot of people are wondering, what is relationship anxiety? Because I know it was a new term for me when I started following you on Instagram? Yeah, absolutely. So it's essentially when you are in a happy and healthy relationship, but you are having doubts about whether or not that partner is the one. And I'm using air quotes for those who are listening. uh, But it's really those doubts and fears and worries. Is this the person for me? How can I be sure? And really having anxiety about whether or not your relationship is, you know, the one that you should continue with. And a lot of people I think experience it more than is discussed publicly. So I'm happy to hopefully introduce that concept to any listeners here. Amazing. And you, so you mentioned some doubts thinking, is this person really the one? What are are some other common thoughts or tendencies that come up with relationship anxiety? Yeah. um, Worrying whether or not, you know, you have the, strong enough feelings of love for somebody or you're attracted enough or you know if I'm losing attraction for this person for 24 hours does that mean that it's going to stay that way forever it's really getting stuck in rumination and spirals that you can't seem to shake and they typically focus specifically on the partner which is something we'll probably get into later but it's really not about your partner if you're in a relationship that is safe, healthy, happy, where there's no abuse present. It's usually not about your partner, um, but it, it tends to fixate on the partner. So, oh, are they uh, funny enough? Are they smart enough? Um, you know, is this going to last? What if we get divorced? You know, I was worrying about my divorce and I'm not even married yet. So that's very <laughs> common among people who experience relationship anxiety, but it really is those nitty gritty thoughts that tend to focus specifically on the partner or the relationship. Doesn't that tend to be the case with most of the things we worry about? It's always these external things that we really have no control over that get us the most worked up because, you know, that's what you can spiral about when you feel like there is no control and your mind can just fixate. So what is the remedy then? How do we go from these anxious thoughts to starting to 
you know, take control of our like, mental processes? What does that look like? Yeah. So first I want to say you nailed it when it is really focusing on things that are out of our control because, you know, a lot of people hear phrases thrown around like, oh, when you know, you know, or when you find the one, you know, things will be great. And if those phrases are empowering to people, great. But for a lot of people, they cause pressure and anxiety. And it creates this false sense of control that even if you know when you're marrying somebody, that that means that your relationship is going to be perfect and last, you know, until death do us part, right? So there's this myth that when you have control, so to speak, again, using these air quotes over a relationship, because you are certain about them, that that's always going to stay the case. And so I think that's this pressure that we put on ourselves when, you know, I hope that everyone that's listening to this lives long, happy, healthy lives, but we just don't know what's in front of us tomorrow, right? And we don't know what's going to happen in a week from now, in two to three years from now. So all we can do is show up and take accountability of today and this moment. So I just wanted to address that because I think one common pillar of relationship anxiety is really getting swept up in these future what ifs. But these future what ifs are completely out of our control. We have to bring it back to right here and now. So that kind of leads me to one of the first steps, I think, as far as healing relationship anxiety is getting out of this future state of mind and bringing yourself back into the present. So in the present moment, are you happy with this person? In the present moment, are you excited about where the relationship is going? In the present moment, do you see yourself being able to grow with this person? And if the answers are yes, then I want you to put those fears in your back pocket about what could go wrong in the future and focus on tending to the relationship you have in front of you. So I think that would be a very first big step. But another big one is pulling it off your partner and bringing it back into something you can control, which is yourself. So mm -hmm. what are the thoughts that I'm thinking that are causing me to feel anxious in my relationship? What are the past experiences that I might have gone through that are causing me to feel maybe like love is not safe or that love doesn't work out for me? What are some of the patterns that I'm doing when I'm afraid that this relationship won't work out? Am I pulling away? Am I, you know, shutting down and not talking to my partner? What are the things that I am doing that are contributing to these cycles and really start peeling those layers back and decide, is that how I want to be showing up in these situations? Or is there potentially a better way uh, to kind of lean in and, and have faith the relationship will work out? Amazing. Yeah. And I love how you talked about taking your focus off of controlling some future outcome and bringing it to the present and to ourselves, because while most things in life are out of our control, if we do have any ounce of effect on our future, it's only in this moment, right? It's only the decisions we make, the, the thoughts we think, our behaviors in this moment that will have any impact on how our future shows up. While we can't control it, we can certainly, you know, shift the direction, but only right now. Yes. I love yeah. that recap. And I think that's, I feel like that's one of the best ways I've ever heard someone explain it. Because, of course, you know, the future is the only thing that is potentially shiftable, if that makes sense. Like we can shift how things end up if we, like you said, show up moment to moment and continue making it happen. Because obviously we can't go backwards, we can't change the past. But like you said, you can only focus on putting your intention and effort into those moments that are right in front of you versus you know, in, in 40 years from now, what if we fall out of love? That's like such a silly mm -hmm. question to be thinking about today here in the present, because even if that's happened to you or someone in your family that you you know have taken on, that doesn't mean it's going to happen 100% to you. And it means that you just might want to put that much more effort and intention into your relationship today and water those seeds so that in 40 years, you're more in love instead of less in love. That makes me think too about not putting off your happiness to a future moment as well. Because I think that's another challenge here is thinking that, well, you know, maybe there's these challenges now, but once this happens, once, you know, he gets a different job, once I'm not as busy, once we have kids, once we're married, et cetera, et cetera, then things will be better. Then we'll be happier. So how do you see this showing up in relationship anxiety or do you have any thoughts about 
yeah. those types of thoughts. Yeah, that's a great point as well. I I agree that putting off a future state of happiness is not a great idea for anybody, whether it's in a career, whether it's in the narrative that we constantly see around, you know, our body image, like I'll be happier when I lose 15 pounds or I'll be happier when this person changes their behavior. I'll be happier X, Y, Z. There's a piece of advice that I feel like I give my clients, which is, can you love your partner as they are right now? That doesn't mean we accept behavior that's harmful to us, but can you accept and love the person in front of you right now, just as you want them to love and accept you, even though you have anxiety about the relationship? So you know, we don't have to necessarily stay the same and we we can look forward to future goals. We can be excited about, oh, you know, when we do get married or when we do have kids, but we shouldn't put that goal as the thing that will make the change. We can start appreciating what we have right now and showing gratitude, even though we are still looking to change something or change a direction in the future. And my personal belief is that marriage shouldn't necessarily be this, you know, big goal that you look at as making your relationship change one way or another. I personally think like the wedding, you know, I haven't been married before, but I've been to weddings and I see all the love and excitement. And I'm sure it is like this, you know, beautiful, magical day for many people. But there's also some people that do feel a little bit of anxiety on their wedding day. And that doesn't mean that your marriage is doomed. It just means that like on this day that you felt a little bit you know, maybe fearful of transitions in your life. And I think that, you know, aside from that big event of the wedding, the next day, you're still with that same person who you've come to love and spend all of your time with. So I personally don't think that the wedding itself makes a big difference in your relationship. And if you're looking for it to do that, then I think you should evaluate what is missing from your relationship now that you're expecting to suddenly gain after the wedding happens. That's a great point. For Matt and I, we've been together, well, it'll be 12 years in the fall, and we've been now engaged for like three and a half years. Our wedding was going to be last summer, but then, you know, COVID postponed it, and then it was going to be this summer, postponed it. Now we're just kind of like, yeah, you know, the whole time we've been feeling like, whatever, it's, you know, we've been together so long, we know we're going to be together we're excited to have a big celebration of our love. Mostly we're excited to get all of our friends and family in one place because they're so scattered around. So like, I'm just really looking forward to having that opportunity to celebrate with everybody. But yeah, it's not going to change anything in our relationship. So, you know, there's, there's really no rush for that. Yeah. And I wish more people talked about that because I do think in our society at large, I do think that it's this cultural step that we expect. Like, okay, like you get engaged, you get married, you start a family, and all of those things are exciting and great for people to do at their own pace. But I think that it puts a lot of pressure on people to get married for the sake of getting married when you should just want to celebrate being with somebody and you should want that to be a long-term thing that, like you said, the wedding doesn't necessarily change much about it. And me and Nate, I mean, we've only been together for just under five years. So definitely less than you guys, but we feel the same. Like we're, we're not in a rush to get married. People have kind of stopped asking just because I'm already going to be probably like the last person in my friend group, but I'm totally okay with that. I'm not in a rush to get engaged. I'm not in a rush to get married just because we already know that we're continuing to grow and build on our relationship daily, weekly, monthly. It's not just once the wedding happens, then we'll start working on our relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And speaking of growing, it reminds me, you mentioned earlier about um, those great questions to ask yourself, like in this moment, do I love this person in this moment? Um, you said, can I see myself growing with this person? And I think that's like such a key question. And actually, I asked this question, a friend of mine, uh, we had lunch a couple years back, and she was in a relationship where she was not sure about it. And I don't like to give advice as much as I like to ask questions because questions always help us lead us to our own answers, which I'm sure you know, as a coach, you probably have that experience all the time. Um, so I, she was saying how she really wants to grow and she's just not sure if, if he wants that. So I suggested she just ask him, like, what does he think about like growing together? How important is that to him? Is he willing to grow with her? 
And she went actually that same day, went and asked him that question. And he basically was like, what do you mean grow? Like, no, I, you know, I'm just, <laughs> I, I'm fine how I am. Why do I need to grow? Mm-hmm. And she knew in that moment, she's like, okay, I'm this, for me, this is done. Cause that's such a core value, the value of growth and learning and improving ourselves that when that's not in an alignment, that's, that's a big, you know, dissonance. Yeah. And, and for a great relationship, like growing together is pretty key for that long-term thriving relationship, right? Yeah. And I think the there's so much nuance to growth that I've recently started reflecting a lot on, and maybe you agree. It's so hard for me, both in relationships and as an individual and just in my life in general, to strike the fine balance of growth versus being content. Because I think part of what gets people into relationship anxiety is striving for this perfect fantasy idea of what a relationship means. So I think there's a very healthy amount of growth that's needed. And I 100% agree, like you must be growing together or you're growing apart. Like I think that expression is just so spot on. But I agree that at certain points too, you have to find the gratitude in what is, you have to be content with where you guys are at and can still look ahead to growth. We've kind of mentioned this earlier on too, but you can't just only be looking to grow without celebrating how far you've come because then you're never going to appreciate anything that you have. You're always going to be looking to that next step. So I find it hard to strike that balance. I know a lot of my clients do as well. Like, how do I be content while also still looking at ways to push myself to be my best. So I'm curious to hear if you have any thoughts on that as well. Yeah, same. Like, I think it's a pretty universal thing with anyone who has that growth mindset, right? It's like, where's the balance? I can always see things I could be doing better and always see ways our relationship can be better and my life, like in any area of your life, right? I can always see ways to improve, but then how do I balance that with yeah, just feeling happy right now. I, it's an important question. I think in asking the question is a, <laughs> probably one of the biggest, biggest uh, steps to finding the answer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm always encouraging people, you know, that daily gratitude practice. It's like the having the dynamic tension between your vision for the future, the vision of your relationship and your life that's pulling you forward but then you've got you're grounded in this present moment gratitude and you know if there feels like there's just enough of a stretch that you're like excited for life basically (laughs) but not too much that you're snapping with anxiety or this feeling of like not enough yep that's a great answer yeah love that and how do you see actually this feeling of not enough, I imagine this is probably one of the big pieces when it comes to your work as a relationship anxiety coach. How do you see that show up with your clients and what what's the effect there? Yeah. So I think there's a few things that come into play with not enoughness and they are comparison, uh, grass is greener mindset and perfectionism. And I think that we've like I said, with society of, you know, like body image and just, you know, like the growth, like you need to be always growing. I feel like our, our society has programmed us to have an inner perfectionist and not everybody I'm speaking generally, but a lot of my clients are definitely struggling and they might not even realize it with an inner perfectionist. This inner perfectionist also likes to make comparisons to other couples, either in real life, on social media, whatever it is. And this inner perfectionist always, you know, comes from this grass is greener mindset as well. Like, oh, but it seems like that other couple might be happier than we are. Or it seems like, you know, there's some advice that floats around, like you need to be single to find yourself. So some people are like, oh, like, should I, you know, is this relationship not right? Because I'm feeling anxiety. So maybe I would be happier if I was single. But then the single people, and I have friends who are singles coaches are like, well, I would probably be happier in a relationship. So all of these (laughs) things together perfectionism, comparison, and grass is greener, excuse me, mindset, I believe, tie in together to that not enoughness or feeling of potentially settling. 
And I do think social media has a really large impact on this because I was reading this great article one time and they said, we've always been a comparing type of species. Like, you know, when your neighbors back in the day, like got a new car, you're like, oh, that would be nice. I'll get a new car. But now you can compare your relationship or yourself to millions of other people in all these different countries and cultures you don't even know the full nuance to. And you're seeing people's highlight reel, right? So, you know, you're seeing that picture perfect vacation, but you're comparing it to your behind the scenes of, oh, we just got into a disagreement or we can't even afford to take a vacation right now. Like, are we ever going to be able to do that? And I think that's one of the biggest hardships of being in today's society. Like I just took a three day break from Instagram and I felt so much more clear headed. So those boundaries around social are so important for people who are in a relationship experiencing anxiety. But yeah, that feeling of not enoughness and that feeling of settling, if you don't have the awareness of it, it can be really, really detrimental in a relationship because like we just mentioned, then you're never going to be happy with what you have. And you think that this perfect partner will come along and make you happy, but it's not about finding the perfect partner. It's about creating a great and, you know, fulfilling relationship with a partner that you have in front of you. And and none of this is for people who have a genuinely like hurtful, mean, abusive partner. Like I'm not saying stay with that person, but if you genuinely care about this person and you want it to work, then stop looking around for like a better person. You can find Mm -hmm. all these amazing things with the person you have in front of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the more focus we put on the great qualities of the person we're with, the more those qualities tend to flourish and express themselves because they're being nurtured. And then, you know, we both like blossom together. So that's what I found in our relationship. Like we've both become more fully ourselves, more like just, I don't want to say better people because I don't think that's the right word, but I think more expressed, like more fully alive um, through our relationship. But it's not that we've made each other that, it's that we've encouraged each other's best, basically. Yep. Um, so yeah, I think you're totally right that thinking that some relationship is going to make you happy is uh yeah, recipe for dissatisfaction. I agree. And I think tying it back to something I said earlier, I can elaborate on it's everyone I think should have a why. Like why do they like first of all, why do they want a relationship, but also why do they want this relationship? Because if you don't have a strong why and you're just looking for a relationship to, like you said, make you happy or to fulfill your needs, but you're not looking for that deep intimacy or connection, even if it's scary to do that, like at the core, if you don't actually want those things and you're just checking off a box, like I should have a relationship or I don't want to be lonely, you're going to have a much different experience than if you keep coming back to your why of, I really want to grow with somebody. I really like for me, one of my whys is, I want to celebrate a 50 year wedding anniversary. Like that would be so fun. Mm -hmm. You know, like all of your future, potentially kids, grandkids, like my grandparents did that. And it was just so cool to see that they had had 50 years of memories, experiences. They traveled the world together. There's all these great things that you can do, but you have to come back to that. Why on days where it does feel hard. And one, a book I read recently called 101 things. I wish I knew before I got married by Linda and Charlie Bloom, I thought was so interesting because they just talk about all these things that are important to talk about within a relationship and this bond that you're going to create with this person. And that it's not just about like checking things off of your life list. It's about creating that intimacy and having that patience to grow more and more in love with that person. And you really get to know their inner world and you know, relationships can be that really safe container for you to expand into your best selves when you have that safe space for a partner to allow you to do that. So like I said, coming back to a why is such a big part of this whole journey, because when my clients don't have a strong why to come back to, then the anxiety will often take its place. But when you have a really strong why of why you're doing this, why you're here, then, you know, I'm sure you've even had days potentially where, 
without experiencing relationship anxiety, so to speak, you might just be like, oh, like this was a really like uncomfortable disagreement that we got into. Like, am I sure that like this is the right person for me? And I, I, I mean, some people don't like to admit that they've been in that situation. But in, in that book that I was just sharing, they said, there's always going to be a moment where you kind of look at the person in front of you and just question if you made the right choice. That's just part of being married, they said. And so you have to know that that doesn't mean that you're with the wrong person. It just means that like the ego likes to be right. And sometimes your partner will make you confront those truths of not always being Mm -hmm. right all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So true. When you talked about these checkboxes, it reminded me of, I've heard from a lot of people about like this kind of checklist of requirements that they have for a partner. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about that, you know, because it's great to know, I think for those who are single, um, it's great to know what, what kind of relationship they love to, to have and to get really clear about how they want to feel. Um, So I think that's important, but what happens when we make these like checklists? Yeah, great question. So I have feelings was one of them and then experiences was another, but I ask people, what are the feelings you want to have in a relationship? What are the experiences you want to have in a relationship? And the third question, if you're already in a relationship is how can you work on bringing more of those in? Um, But for someone who's single, you know, how can you work on bringing more of those feelings and experiences to your life before a partner comes into it? So let's say like for me, I want to feel supported, loved, and playful um, in my relationship. I'm just kind of off the cuff here. And then my experiences are I want to have, you know, someone to travel with. I want to have someone to, you know, snuggle with. And I want to have someone to laugh with. Like how can... I take the ownership in my relationship or not in a relationship to bring more of that in. And I think that's such a more important concept to think through than the actual partner that you're going to be doing that with. Because when we create a checkbox of specific features about a partner, if there's one or two that this person who's amazing, who's right in front of us, doesn't check off, we're going to think that, oh, someone else will definitely meet those needs for us. But if we're not being careful, then we're kind of putting someone into this box of just the qualities they have and not getting to know other parts of them. And I think that part of the anxious mind is kind of like, oh, well, if this one thing is wrong, then it's not going to be the perfect relationship. But I think there's a difference between something that is a true red flag for somebody and and won't fly versus something that I had heard once called a yellow flag, which is maybe you need more information about this before you make a decision, before you decide if it's a red flag or not. Why don't you take some time and explore a little bit further and get to know that quality in that person, get to know the intention behind it. And maybe that person has been wanting to change that about themselves. And so they're putting in the work to do so. Because for example, if Nate had told himself, I don't want to date someone with anxiety, like we would not be together right now. But I'm someone who puts in a lot of effort and energy to make sure that my anxiety is being managed. So that's, you know, something that you could reflect on and say, well, if this person's putting an effort to adjust, then is that something I'm willing to, you know, live with or help support them with or not? And you can be really honest with yourself about that. I love that. Yeah. And it's about asking questions too, right? And being, having the courage to have that kind of vulnerable conversation rather than just assuming things about your partner or potential partner, um, assuming that just because they're displaying this quality, that means this about them. Instead, yeah, leaning in a little bit, having that conversation and finding out what's really there. And I think the analyzing mind really can block the flow of love. So when we can just like put away the analyzing mind and just go, okay, let's just connect. Let me, let's explore this connection. And, you know, I'll set aside my analyzing mind for another time <laughs> afterward. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. And one yeah. thing too, and I know that we didn't specifically talk about this, but I know that a lot of people have like a type that they look mm-hmm. for look wise. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'll just give a quick story of me and Nate. Like when I first met him, I was 
not expecting to meet him that night. And if I had been expecting to meet him, I would have definitely looked him up on social media beforehand, which was just to show my former self (laughs) who was very, (laughs) you know, concerned with appearance and all that. But I was Mm -hmm. like, Oh, he is so nice and cute. Like, it's a shame like that we're the same height. Like that was a very real thing that I thought to myself the first night that me and Nate met. And I think that many people unintentionally live their life that way. They're like, "Mm, too short. Or mm, like, I'm not really attracted to their smile or something like that, whatever it is. Yes, those things are, you know, whatever, like some of that does matter, like you have to have some level of attraction to your partner. I'm not saying that that's not the case. But Mm -hmm. those are also things that like, you're expecting that if they check every single box of appearance that that will suddenly make you happy. But I would love people to push themselves a little farther and like, think about what the emotional needs are that they're going to need met because we're all going to get old and gray one day. Um, (laughs) So even though there is a level of attraction that I believe is important in a relationship, I think that pushing past that is very worth it. Because if I had never given Nate a chance based on simply our height, like we would not have this awesome life together. So yeah. Yeah. Great point. And attraction can be cultivated to a certain extent, right? Of course, there's got to be like some base attraction there, but um, that's certainly been our experience in our relationship that our attraction has grown over time. Um, Whereas a lot of people think it's got to be the opposite where you start out with this like great sparking attraction and it's like the honeymoon phase and all this. And then over time, it kind of fades or whatever, but just like anything with conscious intention and with putting in consistent work, um, a fun kind of work, then you can actually grow your attraction over time. So yeah, that's a, I'm sure, and I'm sure that's another one of these anxious thoughts that can come up is like, what if five years from now, I'm not attracted to you anymore? Yeah, absolutely. And the honeymoon phase is an interesting part of what I talk about as well. I think there are very real experiences where, of course, the honeymoon phase does fade. And that's where you can put in that fun work you said of, okay, like, is this someone I want to grow with? Am I going to start putting that effort and intention in? But there's also this other type of honeymoon phase that people expect to last, you know, 50 years and still be that same infatuated feelings, but it's scientifically proven that like when you're falling in love with someone, your body is giving off different chemicals like dopamine and like all these chemicals that are not necessarily there once that newness fades off. So I don't want people to get sucked into thinking that if that infatuation, I actually wouldn't even, I like, like use the word infatuation instead of honeymoon phase, just because we Mm -hmm. all have, or most people at least have some level of that infatuation phase, but it can be grown if you don't. But I think that people get really hung up on if that fades, that means the relationship is doomed when Mm -hmm. they're just not familiar that no, that happens in long-term relationships. And if you keep chasing that high and that rush, then you're going to have to keep getting into a new relationship because it comes with the newness, not just the person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When those first uneasy feelings or first frictions in the relationship come up, that can be a moment of like, oh no, it was so perfect. What happened? (laughs) But I like to see that as a reverse indicator, meaning that's the sign that something's going right. You're getting close enough to that other person that those top layers of, you know, getting to know each other are getting peeled back and you're touching some of the more deep and vulnerable places that you maybe haven't even shared with other people, like, or only you know, maybe only your family rubs those (laughs) or pushes those buttons or that kind of thing. So those, those frictions that come up are great opportunities to go, okay, what is it that's happening in me that, that I can work on that's in need of healing. And I think we like to reframe and celebrate any of those challenges that come up. And know that like, yeah, this means we're moving in the right directions, as long as we take these challenges and learn from them. And don't just sweep them aside or turn them into more challenges. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. And I think that's the biggest reframe people can make, right? 
when you start feeling that anxiety because things are getting more serious, that means it's because you're invested in this person. And because now it feels like, oh, this, you know, this actually could work out. This means I care about this person and I don't want this not to work. So I'm, you know, worrying about it. And I think a lot of people, I mean, myself included, I thought that I either had to live with my anxiety forever or that me and Nate just weren't the right fit. I didn't realize that there even was this third possibility of me turning inward to work on my own stuff and that it would benefit the relationship. But when things get hard and then you take it as a sign to leave, you know, you're never going to get past, like you just said, that hard, initial hard phase where you have to start becoming more connected and open and vulnerable with that person to get past that initial weirdness and grow deeper in the relationship. So you have to be willing to do some of that hard stuff. And despite what the movies and media say, like relationships aren't 100% easy all the time. You have to be willing to, especially for people who are not as vulnerable, like you have to be willing to put that guard down and lower your walls to let the other person in. That's not always easy to do. Mm -hmm. And how does something I loved hearing you talk about was like deciding and fully committing. How does that help with that whole process? Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So when we have one foot in and one foot out, whether that's consciously or not, whether Mm -hmm. we're like, Ooh, someone out there could be better for me. Or if this doesn't work out, then X, Y, Z, that's subconscious. (laughs) Exactly. Like it's subconsciously giving ourselves a backup plan in case the relationship doesn't work. And I'm not this genie that's here to tell you that every relationship of this listener is guaranteed to work. That's not what I'm saying. But when you can decide, I want this to work, I'm putting two feet in, I'm putting all my eggs in this basket, and I'm moving forward with it, that gives your relationship a much better chance of having that longevity that you crave because it shows that you're committing to this person, you're committing to doing that work we've mentioned with them and you're committing yourself to that future. And for me, you know, a lot of my clients get anxious about getting engaged. And I actually think that when you get engaged or when you're getting married, that's kind of an exciting step because you're fully jumping in. You're like, this is what I'm Mm -hmm. doing. This is who I'm choosing. And now I don't have to worry about all these what ifs because we both just took a vow to be together. And again, I'm not saying that just because you get married, you're guaranteed to work either. You still have to put in that intentional effort to connect and, you know, light each other up, make each other happy, all these things. But when you can decide, that helps you a lot versus feeling like, oh, I'm still not sure after years and years of what ifs, I'm still not sure, you know, clearly those what ifs haven't really helped you get that answer that you're craving. Yeah. And I think it just like in other areas of life too, right? Deciding just like making the clear decision and cutting off all other options. Actually, that's what the word decide comes from the Latin desir, which means to cut. So it's like cutting off all other options. And I think having all those other options as possibilities can be like draining, you know, drains your energy. Um, But when you can cut off all the other options, now you got your full focus, like, like focusing the sunlight from in a magnifying glass, you know, I can put my full focus and my full energy into this. And I mean, the results are bound to be more, you know, more plentiful (laughs) in that situation. Or if not, then you know, wow, okay, I I went all in. I made that decision, that commitment. And I maybe I still feel like this isn't the right relationship, right? Because I'm sure some of the time that might be the case. Yeah. And I think what's interesting is that a lot of people are afraid. I don't think they're even afraid of the relationship not working. They're afraid that they can't handle the relationship not working. Like they're Mm -hmm. not trusting in their own strength to handle whatever life throws at them. So Mm -hmm. I think that it's so much better to make a decision that's quote, quote, wrong and figure that out and then pivot and make a different change. That doesn't mean a different relationship. It could just mean like, oh, like I realized that like there was something that really does bother me in this relationship and I want to talk about it with this person. So like I need to know this answer before, you know, deciding whatever that means. But 
if we don't make those micro decisions along the way, as simple as what do I want to eat at this restaurant tonight? Like just start making that decision and sticking with it. Because if you're constantly volleying in your head, you know, should I stay in this? Should I leave? Or like, what do I want for dinner? Like, I can't decide. You're not going to move forward in any direction. You're just kind of staying stuck where you're at. Yeah, it makes me think about the question, what do I want? And how for many of us, that's a very challenging question to answer in a lot of different contexts, because we're just not encouraged. Like growing up, most of us aren't encouraged to really be connected to what we want. You know, yep. in school, we're taught to like, you know, be quiet, sit still, doesn't matter what you want, this is what we're doing. And in a lot of households, it's kind of the same thing. So how, what's that process like of getting in touch with what we really want? And then how does that help in the relationship? Yeah, such a good question. And I find a lot of people will say, this isn't making me happy. And when they're posed with the question, well, what would make you happy? They don't have the answer. Um, It's kind of like this idea of like, oh, I want to live somewhere different. And then it's like, oh, where do you want to live? And it's like, I don't know. I'm just kind of getting bored of where I'm currently living. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. a lot of times we're just unsettled or uneasy with the current situation, but we don't have a direction or a decision so called to like move towards So I think those questions that we had talked about earlier of like, what feelings do you want to have? What experiences do you want to have? I think, you know, reflecting back on past moments that have made you feel really excited, doesn't matter how far back it was, it can even be from childhood, or it can be just in the last few months, like what has made you feel excited? um, And how can you start bringing more of that in? Because I think, knowing either what you don't want or knowing what you do want, both are fine, but you have to be specific. It's not just like, uh, like this isn't making me happy. If, if you're specifically saying, oh, it doesn't make me happy when we don't travel for a full year. I need to travel at least twice a year. Those are both very specific things. Like staying in the same place for a year doesn't make me happy. I'd like to travel two times a year. Those are both decisive. And then you can track if you are dipping into unhappy or happy territory, whereas just saying, I don't know, like something's not right, that just feels a little vague to me. And it doesn't seem like it's going to help anyone in the trajectory that they're looking for. Love it. Yeah. And I think it's like such a great process of getting to those answers of what do I want? Like being able to ask that question and actually have an answer that feels like, oh, yeah, that's true. That's what I want. Um I imagine I've found in my own experience that having really solid self-care practices helps a lot with this. Um, Do you want to talk about how self-care can help us in our relationship? Oh my goodness. Yes. I feel like, (laughs) I mean, in my private coaching, I have a whole module focused on self. Like I have us talk about self-compassion, self-trust, self-soothing, self-care, um, you know, all these components of us that affects how we show up in the relationship. Because just like when you're in a bad mental state, you kind of think badly about your partner. If you're in a really good state, then you're going to think really good about your partner. It's kind of all channeled and flowing through yourself. So for me, self-care looks like getting some time for myself away from Nate. Like alone time is a big part of my self-care to show up as a better partner. Because if I'm constantly around him, then I find myself getting irritated at stupid little things. And you know, the pandemic hasn't helped where we've been pretty much together for 14 months straight. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But alone time is a big part of my self care, like reading a good fiction book, I take time away from my nonfiction research and all of the books that I do love to read, but sometimes that's a lot of mental space to take up. So I'll read a fiction book, just like go outside for a walk without my phone. Self-care for me looks like, you know, deleting the Instagram app off my phone, you know, for a few days at a time every now and again. It looks like when I need to getting back into my body instead of being up in my head. So whether that's Mm. like sitting with one hand on my chest and one hand on my stomach and breathing for a few minutes to just get back into my body. That is a big one for me. And then there's some more, you know, cliche things like I love to journal, I do love to meditate, exercise, you know, that's a big piece of all of my mental health routines. And I think that 
one of the best things that you can do is find what works for you in a unique way. Everyone has different things that will work. Some people are like, I hate journaling. And I'm like, okay, well then don't worry about that. Um, but if you're not taking care of yourself and you don't have time for that, then the relationship is not going to grow because you're going to just be exhausted and burnt out. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a reason things like meditation and journaling and breath work, these things get talked about so much is because they're really powerful. They're like simple tools, but very powerful. And I know for us, that's one of the our key practices, having our morning routine, our meditation, our journaling, our reading, our, for me, yoga, exercise, um, those things, we see a very clear correlation when we're just nailing those habits every day in the way we show up in our relationship and the rest of life versus when we don't like the, (laughs) some of the only times we get into these kind of squabbles are when we're like at the airport flying somewhere and where it's like our lowest relationship moments are we've been flying for two days and haven't slept in a whole day and we're like rushing to a flight lowest relationship moments why because we haven't been taking care of ourselves we're just not in a good state (laughs) yeah sleep for me is I mean yeah if I'm hangry or tired, it's like, no. (laughs) And I think one of the biggest things that all ties back to you is energy. Because if you don't have energy, like at the end of the day to even just like have a five minute intimate conversation with your partner or like, you know, I mean, like sexually too, like I'm not going to go there too much, but I feel like a lot of people are like, I just don't have the energy for that. And it's like, well, get more energy because that's, a big piece of your relationship, like whether it's like physical intimacy or whether it's like emotional intimacy and just like having a conversation with somebody or whether it's, you know, just having a chance to like actually be present and listen for what they're talking about versus like being on your phone or whatever it is, that energy that you put into the relationship and to your partner is so important, but it starts with the energy that you have as a person. So for me, one of the benefits of, um, for those who are listening that don't know, I live in Sweden and I used to live on the East coast back in the States. So I now have this six hour window where I feel like no one's really awake yet back in my world. And I don't necessarily need to check in with anybody. No one is responding to emails. I can just have my time. So most days I actually don't start my work day until probably like 10 or 11. And it's Mm -hmm. really great because I mean, I have later meetings in the day. It's not like I'm not still putting the work in, but my mornings are my sacred time where I can just read, journal, go on a walk, whatever I need to do so that I'm starting my day feeling energized and excited about my life. And then I can carry that into checking in on Nate throughout the day. And, you know, it's this ripple effect. Yeah, I love it. And same thing. We do the same thing. We've got our like two hour morning window where it's just alone time, charging ourselves up, doing all those habits that keep us plugged in. And then same thing in the evening, like we love the AM and PM bookends, mm-hmm. as I think is Darren Hardy that called it that, um, where, you know, after work is done, after we've had dinner, electronics go off. Sometimes we might watch a show, but we've got a shutdown complete time or a, a digital sunset time, right? Where it's like, for us, it's 8.30 and no more electronics. Electronics are off and now it's just time to connect and to let our nervous system wind down so that we can have a really great sleep tonight so that we can show up again tomorrow fully charged up for each other and for everything in life. So I think that's a, yeah, it's such an important thing in a relationship, that self-care. I love mm-hmm. that. And you're inspiring me to, you know, bring back up our evening wind down because I think we've been getting, especially in the pandemic, a little bit <laughs> too cozy with our Netflix evenings. And mm-hmm. you're so right. Like that extra time where you're just, even if you're still laying in bed and like just technology is off, you can have that conversation that you wouldn't have had if you're just both watching TV or on your phone. Mm-hmm. So very good reminder to even put that back into me and Nate's routine because there are certain things that we get really good at for a a period of time and then they kind of (laughs) taper off a little bit. Yeah. And that brings back to like 
realizing that we're never going to be done the work, right? Because same thing with us. It's like, we'll go through periods where we're watching Netflix at night, like a lot of days in a row. And then we realize, oh, wait a second. We notice the difference. We make the connection like, oh, we've been doing this. We're not feeling as connected, like make the connection there, right? And and realize that, yeah, it's like always reinstalling habits, trying new things, um, seeing what works, and then recommitting when we fall off because we're all human. So, of course, you know, we're not going to just like, you know, install a habit and be good for the rest of our life with it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and connection, when two individuals are very connected to themselves and then they're very connected to each other, I feel like that makes up a really great relationship because. A lot of people who are experiencing relationship anxiety, they're experiencing some level of disconnection, but they can't quite put our, their finger on it. Like that's kind of what we were talking about earlier. Like sometimes they're like, I just feel disconnected, but I can't quite say why. And so I'm not happy, but I can't quite say why. And that's where I always guide people towards themselves, like connect to yourself. Your partner should connect to themselves. And then when you're both feeling very connected, grounded, you know, in a, a solid place, then you come back and reconnect because when you're not energized individually and then you're trying to mesh that together, like, of course, you're going to have kind of like low energy, low motivation as a couple. And so, yeah, you really nailed that piece. And I'm glad we ended up talking about how the self is so tied into that because much of my work is kind of guiding people towards that notion that it's your responsibility to make the change that you want in your relationship. And it starts within. Mm, yeah, well said. I just remembered something from earlier in our conversation that I wanted to come back around to. Uh, you had mentioned about being able to accept our partner or to be being able to love them throughout all of their experiences and all of their feelings, even if there's behaviors we don't necessarily want to accept. I wanted to come back around to that um, because I think that's another thing that comes back to this self. So how can we best love our partners even when things are challenging? Yeah, it's a magic question. I feel like it's so different for everybody, but I think definitely coming back to your why at a macro level is important for those micro level moments because I don't know any long-term relationship or any relationship at all where there haven't been moments of feeling frustrated by behavior or something your partner said or some how they acted. And I think it's like at the macro level, is this person you know, is their intention to love me? Are their intentions pure? Are they kind? Are they someone that is loving and generous? So that when there are those micro moments where their intention didn't come across that way, okay, well, their character overall as a person is someone that I love and respect. So I can either one, let that slide, or two, I can get into a more clear-headed place and then address that thing with them that upset mm -hmm. me from a place that isn't accusatory, but is like curious and starting a dialogue because I don't know anybody that is not going to get defensive when someone tries to tell them about something that isn't right or that they should fix. That's something mm -hmm. I've learned. Like, I, I just feel like there's been so many times where I'm like, you should have done this or this wasn't okay. And immediately I can sense that Nate, my boyfriend will get onto defense mode and that's how anyone would react. So it's yeah. all about how you communicate about something. And so if there's something that is genuinely upsetting, then I don't recommend people let that, you know, go. I, I don't think that the dust settling is very good. I think you should constantly mm -hmm. check in with each other, but if it's something that you know is not part of their character and it's something that you don't need to necessarily harp on, I think it's knowing when to kind of just let something go and when it's a conversation that's going to continue to bother you if you don't. Yeah, I love you use the word curious. And I think that's what it comes down to is when those moments come up, realizing, okay, let's get curious, stay in this like curiosity mindset and realizing that it's not something wrong with the relationship just because there's this little blip. Let me get curious and see uh, how am I feeling right now? Because our tendency is to want to like 
like you said, start getting on the accusatory kind of thing, looking at the other person, but turning the attention around to how am I feeling right now? What do I want right now? Yeah, absolutely. And Brene Brown, I just look up to so much as far as like Mm -hmm. everything that she does, but there's some good phrases that I've caught on of hers that she uses either in books or on podcasts. And a couple of them that I want to share would be say more or help me understand. So she kind of, you know, that's like a curious, open-minded statement of like, can you say more about that? Can you help me understand where you're coming from? But then the other one that you can use about yourself which I love of hers is the story I'm making up is blank. Mm, So the story I'm making up is that you are being really rude to me right now because of, you know, because you're frustrated by this situation. Like, is that true? Because when you say the story I'm making up, it kind of just lets that other person's guard down. They don't feel like it's the truth. It's just the story that you made up about it. And I think getting in that habit of using that dialogue with your partner can be really helpful because then they can be like, oh, that isn't actually what I meant to do. Or actually, you're right. Like that is kind of what's going on. And then talk about it from there. Yeah. And it's acknowledging that, hey, this is just my perspective. It's very possible that that's not actually what's going on. Right. Because most of the time, what we think we're, what we think we're seeing and experiencing is not the pure truth of what's happening, right? Because we've got all our own filters and all our own perceptions and beliefs and everything that all come into to to twist and cloud things. So I I love that question or that statement, the story I'm making up is, and it reminds, takes them off the defense and reminds yourself that this is actually more, this reaction I'm having is more about me than it is about you. Yeah. And let's talk about it. (laughs) Yes. And remembering that we're very subjective people and there's not usually Mm -hmm. objective truth to what we're saying is so big in a relationship. And I actually, that kind of leads to another good point of like relationship advice. I don't believe that there's objective truth for relationships. And so a lot of my clients will come to me and I saw this online and like this person said that I shouldn't be in a relationship with this and X, Y, Z. And like, now I I feel like I shouldn't be in this relationship. And I'm like, there is no one size fits all approach. Like you and your partner or however many partners there is, they're all welcome here. Like whatever the situation is in your relationship, it's going to be different based on the people in the relationship. And to think that there is like a right and a wrong is just not true. And even sometimes I get stuck in that. I'm like, you know, abusive relationships. And I like, you know, throw that off to the side as like, that is bad and wrong. But there's some people who are just not ready yet to leave that experience. And I'm not there to judge that. So I think when people are reflecting on their own relationship, they should be focusing on what makes me happy. And then what makes the relationship unit happy. And I won't say throw out all other advice because I'm, you know, a relationship coach too. I like to try and help people out and give advice that I think is meaningful, but only take on advice or, you know, um, phrases or, you know, sayings that resonate with you. Like soulmates, for example, is a good one. Mm -hmm. Some people love the idea of a soulmate. They're like, oh, I found my soulmate. I am so happy. Like, I can't believe it. And then some people get so anxious when they think of that term because, how do I know if this is my soulmate? Like there's one soulmate for me in the world. And if I don't find the right person, then I'm, you know, living this life that isn't meant to be. So it's all about how you view something. And I believe there's so much nuance and context missing to a lot of relationship advice out there that if people stop to think about for a second, they'd be like, okay, like maybe I don't need to buy into this message because it's no longer serving the purpose I thought it was. Mm -hmm. And that's where the curiosity comes in again, right? It's like everything you see, just seeing everything through that lens of curiosity and not thinking that, yeah, everything has to apply to you. You know, the soulmate idea for me feels really empowering. Yeah, but I can see how buying into that idea for some could lead them into the one foot in, one foot out. What if there's somebody better? And yeah, just exactly. so important to choose empowering beliefs. Yeah. And if I may, just like with one more example of something that can 
feel like truth to one person, but another person causes anxiety. Like there's this TikTok trend going around that a lot of my audience has like brought to my attention where it's like, if you have to make a pros and cons list about this person, they're not the one. And while Mm. I see the intention behind that, like someone's like, you shouldn't have to think twice. That is Mm. very black and white thinking, right? Like for an anxious mind, sometimes like a like pros and cons list is like a really good way for you to remember all of the amazing pros about this person to get you into that like next step of like, I really want this to work out. And sometimes the anxious mind, like we talked about earlier, is just that analytical mind. You can't get out of it. And for people to say that every single person is thinking the exact same way and that a pros and cons list means the relationship won't work. Like I've written many gratitude lists for Nate in an anxious state when I was trying to pull out all of those pros. Like I, I might not have necessarily written down all of the cons next to it, but there were times when I did need that reassurance of, oh no, like this is a relationship I want to fight for. So I'm just a big believer. Like if you hear advice that makes you feel badly about yourself or your relationship, question why that relationship advice is so important for you to, you know, have, or if maybe I don't need to buy into this and I can just let that be someone else's advice that they're really excited about and just, you know, take what works and leave the rest. Yeah. Get curious and keep asking yourself questions. Keep doing the work on yourself. Yeah. Self-care. Yeah. Showing up. (laughs) I love it. We're bringing it all back full circle. Yeah. Yeah. And knowing that the work is never done. Yeah. So don't expect it to be. 100%. Don't delay that happiness or, you know, think things will be better when because there's always work to do. And it can be fun. That's the thing. I I always want to put that asterisk on because when I say like, there's always work to do, it can sound a little bit daunting, like, oh, well, that kind of sucks. <laughs> but when we're, when we adopt that growth mindset and that constant curiosity, then that work can be really fun. And yeah. when we, when we're aware of the fruits of the work we've done and how amazing it is on the other side of that work each time, yeah. then yeah, then we see we get excited about the work. It's like a bit of a challenge comes up. And even if it's a bit uncomfortable, at the same time, you can also be excited about it. Yeah, because you're like, Oh, I can feel some nice growth coming on, you know, (laughs) like, exactly. (laughs) Yes, I love that growth mindset has been, I mean, it's not necessarily relationship related, but it's anyone can adopt a growth mindset. And when you have a growth mindset within a relationship, and you look at problems as an opportunity for growth, versus, you know, like this could never get better. That is everything. So, I mean, that was Mindset by Carol Dweck is like one of my favorite books of all time. And I think that whether you're in a relationship or not, whatever aspect of your life you're looking to improve, I just think that is like, I would say that's one of the best tips to give anybody. Yeah, that's a great book. Yeah. And I'll link the books that you've mentioned in the show notes as well. So people can go check those out if they feel inspired. Woo-hoo. Well, this has been such an amazing conversation. I feel like our mindset about these things is so nicely aligned and we could probably keep talking for hours about this. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, but I'll ask you one final question here. And that is what is one habit that you think we can install for a thriving relationship? Yeah, I love this question. This one is going to sound simple, but the effects are really great. So me and Nate have been doing for a while a morning gratitude routine. And don't get stuck on the morning. It can be evening, whatever people want to do. But it's every day sharing one thing that you're each grateful for about one another. It could be part of their, you know, character part of you know what they did that day to help you out whatever it is it can be big or small but that consistency has been so nice for us and it just reminds you every day to find one thing that you can share about your partner that you're appreciative of and for me I know the word gratitude gets thrown around all the time now Mm -hmm. but it is more so that act of connecting intentionally to your partner every day to show that you're still excited about this relationship that you still 
you know, admire them, that you're not taking the relationship or them for granted anymore. So while it sounds simple, if you actually do it daily, it has a massive effect. I love it. Yeah. Gratitude practice is powerful for sure. And those are the kind of habits that I love are the ones that are really simple, but have a big impact because why wouldn't we want to spend our energy working on those types of habits, those types of actions that produce the most wonderful results, right? Exactly. And I think, you know, just one last thing on that topic, a lot of people, you know, my job as a coach is to help people understand things as simply as possible. And I think that some people are almost like, wait, that seems like too simple of a thing to do. Or like, you know, like try not spending the first hour of your day on social media, I'll say to some people or like things like that. And it sounds like, oh, well, that's obvious. But you know, try doing it then for three months in a row and get back to me because the consistency is the part Mm -hmm. that I think a lot of people are missing. And I don't mean that to be discouraging, but I mean it to be, you know, like, actually pick one small thing and implement it. And then once you're getting really good at that, add the next thing on for your relationship. Because I think we're tempted to throw too many things on the list. And then we just give up on all of them versus like, no, I'm going to stick to my morning gratitude routine for three months, practice it. And then maybe if we want to add something else, we can. Yes, 100% agree. Consistency. Yeah. Yeah, there's the huge difference between liking the idea of doing something and then consistently doing it for months on end and really seeing the results of it. Yeah, definitely. Amazing. Well, Sarah, where can people connect with you if they want to learn more? Yeah, so my Instagram is at you love and you learn and my website is youloveandyoulearn.com. So either place. And especially if you share that you came over from the Abundant Couples podcast, I would love to just connect and talk about how you like the episode and get to know you better. Awesome. And I'll link those in the show notes as well. Awesome. Well, it's been so great talking with you. Really enjoyed this conversation. And I'm sure everybody's going to get a lot of great nuggets out of it. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and a review and share it with the people that you care about because we can all use a little more love in our lives. Until next time.